I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is the final part of a special three-part podcast for Mail Plus Health, where I speak to Dr. Adrian Morris, Principal Allergist at the Surrey Allergy Clinic in Guildford in London, and Honorary NHS Consultant at the Allergy Clinic at the Royal Brompton Hospital. Whenever I eat fruits, such as plums and nectarines, I get a really weird sensation in my mouth. I saw online that it could be something called oral allergy syndrome, but how can I tell? Can you please explain and what is the treatment? Now, I've never actually heard of this oral allergy syndrome. That's a fascinating thing. There's a cross-reactivity between pollen and fruit. And so if you predominantly silver birch tree pollen allergic, you'll have hay fever in March and April and not at other times of the year. And about half the people with silver birch allergy and hay fever start in their late teens and 20s to get itching in their mouth if they eat fresh fruit, particularly the skins. So apples, peaches, pears, nectarines, and hazelnuts. They get this irritating oral itching. If they peel the fruits or they cook the fruits, it damages the protein so they don't get the symptoms then. It's never dangerous. So they may get a really scratchy throat and feel like they've got, and I have a lot of kids who come and see me in their teens and 20s who've been given an EpiPen because the doctor's so worried about them having an anaphylactic reaction to fruit. Um, But it doesn't happen that way. And you can test them and you can measure the actual component that they're allergic to and confirm that they're not going to have anaphylaxis. It's all part of this birch pollen oral allergy syndrome. And as I say, it's predominantly apples, peaches, pears, the stone fruits, hazelnuts. You might even get it with raw carrot and celery and melon in grass pollen uh, individuals. So if you're allergic to grass pollen, you might develop an, a melon allergy. And then you, if you eat fresh melon, you get itching in your throat. But if it's cooked or heated in any way or tinned or canned, then it's, it's, it's changed by the heating process and then it doesn't cause a problem. So, so is that just because the, the, so the, the allergens or the proteins in both of those things just happen to, to be similar and therefore trigger yeah. similar they, responses? Is that right? They're called profilin. They're panallergens. So you find this profilin in all sorts of fruits and in pollen. Um, so you get sensitized through the nose with the birch pollen. And then your body thinks that when you're eating the apple, you're putting a big blob of birch pollen in your mouth. So you start itching. And it happens after the season. So it's not only in the birch pollen season that you react, you'd react all year round. That's so interesting. So when people come to you and they sort of say, well, you know, I particularly sneeze during March and April, do you then know them particularly what, what, often what tree yeah. they're going to And then be? I'll ask them, do you get itching in your mouth when you eat apples? And they say, how did you know? Of course, amazing. Yeah. That's so clever. After coming out in terrible hives, I've been told I've got an allergy to sulfites. I've never even heard of them. What food contains the biggest amounts and how could this have only started at the age of 50? So I don't, sulfite, what's that? Well, sulfite is sulfur dioxide. So sulfur dioxide is a preservative that's added to a lot of foods to give them a long shelf life. So anything you can open and you don't need to refrigerate, you can just stick back in the cupboard like ketchup, mayonnaise, uh, tomato sauce, balsamic vinegar, they all have sulfur dioxide added to them to extend their shelf life. And we call those sulfites or metabisulfites. And we've noticed a lot of uh, problems with that in certain individuals. They'll get urticaria and hives, or it may even trigger off asthma. So people may eat. Sorry, and I was just saying, so urticaria, that's, that's itching, is it? Is that right? That's hives. So like a nettle rash. 
on your body. So you, you may get a nettle rash and or you may get asthma. Not everyone gets the asthma or the nettle rash, but it's often triggered off by the sulfites or sulfur dioxide. Tends to occur in older people, but some children also get the uh, the sulfite sensitivity with things like Sunny Delight or these cheap juices that have a lot of sulfur dioxide in. The great news is it's labeled. It has to be labeled by law. So you just need to look at the can or the jar or the bottle and it'll say it contains sulfite or sulfur dioxide. But if it happens to be your favorite wine, well, then you, you're in a bit of a loss there because you get sulfites in wine, you get them in lovely balsamic vinegars and dried fruits have them in. So a lot of dried fruits uh, have sulfites in to preserve them. So why did it only start at the age of 50? Uh, maybe you're eating more sulfite-containing foods now than you did before. It doesn't only start at age 50, but, um, but sulfites are a, an issue. They're very difficult to test for. So whereas we can skin prick test and blood test you for allergies to dust mites and cats and dogs and peanuts and fish, there aren't any accurate tests for sulfites. So it's more of giving you something that contains sulfites, seeing how you react and saying, well, maybe you shouldn't be eating it. My five-year-old son has terrible eczema. He scratches himself until he bleeds in his sleep and it's just heartbreaking. We've tried all sorts of creams and I do worry about using steroid cream. What can we do to try and calm his skin down? This is heartbreaking, horrible. I've had, I've had relatives who've had really, really bad eczema. I think because it's one of those things you've got a bit, bit of eczema, but actually when it's really bad and people are sort of, particularly when, when people are young, you know, they're kind of kids and they're scratching. It's horrible. It's really, really... Really condition. So the first thing is eczema is a genetic condition. And the reason you have eczema is you don't have enough glue in your skin cells called filigrin, which glues the skin cells together so they are a barrier to the outside world. So children with eczema have this higgledy-piggledy skin that this, anything can get into it, anything in de detergents, dust mites, uh, bugs, bacteria. And so they're far more prone to getting problems with their skin and warts and all sorts of things like that. And um, the idea is that you need to nurse that skin back to health. You can't cure it. It's a genetic thing. So you want to reduce staphylococcal colonization of the skin because the bugs on your skin can actually aggravate the eczema. And there's a great deal of steroidophobia in this country where GPs are terrified of giving children steroid creams. The only way to get on top of eczema is to use a steroid cream for about a week to dampen it down and then use plenty of emollients to protect the skin. So a steroid cream, when you say it dampens it down, what does it actually do then? Does it affect the immune system? Does it, it reduces the inflammation on the skin. Now, they got a bad reputation in the past because the older type of steroid creams were absorbed through the skin into your body. So you were getting a big dose of steroid into your body through the skin and it thinned the skin and it damaged the skin and the skin became pigmented and all funny. The newer steroid creams don't do that. They work locally and they're not absorbed into the skin at the great degree that the others were. And you can dilute them down. So I like to dilute a, a steroid with a moisturizer and then use that more generally. And you can even have steroid weekends. So some children with bad eczema, they'll use their steroids once a week on a Saturday. So every Saturday they use the steroid, the rest of the week they use the, the emollients. But you'll never ever get on top of eczema with just a moisturizer. And I see children who've had every single moisturizer prescribed in the book, like 20 different, and their eczema doesn't improve because all you do is you make greasy eczema. You don't actually cure eczema with a 
moisturizer, you do have to use a steroid cream for a period of time and then taper it off and, and make sure there's no staphylococcus on the skin because that really makes the eczema worse. And if you can use a topical antibacterial shampoo, that would help as well. So is that why people sometimes use uh, like things like hibiscrub? Is that, yes, why they, is that why they, yeah. I've always yeah. wondered because hibiscrub obviously is very, you know, it kills off bacteria and everything. Yeah. But I always, bad, wondered, bad, I, always, bad. I always find it quite drying. But yeah, you want to moisturize afterwards, after you, but if you use, say, the heavy scrub on your whole body once a week, just to get rid of the, the staphylococcal colonization and then use lots of moisturizer after that, that'd be a good way forward. Okay. But you find with swimming pools as well, the, the, the chlorine in the swimming pool irritates the skin. You're not allergic to the chlorine, but it dries the skin and irritates it. And these children come out of the swimming pool and they're itchy and dry and scaly and they wish they'd never gone in. And one of the things I've heard about, which I, I, I don't know how true it is, is about people becoming addicted, in inverted commas, to, to using steroids when they've got things like eczema, where they get just like a cycle where they can't stop using it. Is, is, that, yeah. is that a real thing? Or is it, again, just part of our whole just general sort of outdated concern about steroids? It is part of the outdated concern about steroids, but the way forward is you should use the steroid in a big dose for a limited time and then withdraw it. You shouldn't just use a small amount, just get the eczema under control and then withdraw it because it's all going to flare up again. And then you're going to become despondent and say, well, I use the steroid creams. They help a bit, but it's no good. I can't carry on using them forever. You actually want to use them in adequate doses to get the eczema completely under control, then slap on the moisturizers and keep the staphylococcus out of the equation. Oh, that's so useful, thanks. Um, so the final question, I have just employed someone who has severe allergies and carries an EpiPen at all times. I'm nervous about what happens if he has an attack and how to administer it. What are the golden rules? I also feel I should have EpiPens on site. Is there still a shortage of them? A good question, because, you know, people are, are sort of victimized because they happen to have allergies and they tell their new employer that they've got um, um, uh, anaphylaxis to peanuts and the employer thinks, oh, my goodness, what if someone in the building is eating peanuts and they have anaphylactic shock? Am I going to be held responsible? And this EpiPen, if I give it to them, am I going to kill them? So there's a lot of uncertainty and, and, and people aren't well educated. And companies like the, <clears throat> the anaphylaxis campaign will actually send someone out to, to, to advise staff and everything. And, and, and perhaps if the person is highly allergic, to have an EpiPen on the premise because they may not be able to get it out quick enough if they have a, a real severe reaction. But the EpiPen is very, very effective. There are other brands, because as you say, there was a shortage of EpiPens at one point. I don't think that's the issue anymore, but they're Jext pens and Emirate pens. So they're different varieties of adrenaline auto-injector pens. Because that, that's basically what an EpiPen in, it is, isn't it? It's just, it contains adrenaline, that's right. Um, and it, and, it, and it, 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 in, a, in a one single measured dose, is that right? Yeah. And how does, that, how does adrenaline actually work? Because I thought that's what happens, you know, when you're kind of running around or you're kind of running away from a lion. Um, so what, how, does it, how does adrenaline work on anaphylaxis? Well, when you have anaphylactic shock, you, the, the things that happen are that your, your blood pressure drops precipitously. Um, and so you pass out and all of that. And the EpiPen boosts up your blood pressure and so gets the adrenaline drive that gets you through the actual allergic response and, and negates those other negative effects of histamine and the actual allergic reaction. 
And so, so what, what are the golden rules then that, um, of, of uh, well, education, you know? education and education. So the, the people who uh, have the allergy must carry their EpiPen and at least instructs their colleagues at work how to use it if they ever needed to. Uh, the employees should have some sort of uh, management process in place so they you know so and so suddenly looks funny and goes out of you know sorts where's his EpiPen uh, and don't be afraid to administer more people die with their EpiPen in their hand and not giving it to themselves and people you know who would have some sort of adverse reaction to the EpiPen it's actually very safe so, so um, if in doubt it's it's safe to give give it give it, yeah. give it if you're in, in any won't do any harm by giving it but you'll do a lot of harm by withholding it or saying well let's wait another five minutes and see if you stop breathing and then i'll give it to you that's incredibly <laughs> useful i think that's that should be our absolute take-home message so when in doubt just give the epi pen that's brilliant yeah, yeah. Adrian, thank you so much for your time that's been absolutely fascinating that's all we've got time for today if you want more from adrian you can look at allergy clinic .co.uk and you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google and whilst you're there please leave us a review and don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk.